started with Bring Back. And today, I'm going to talk to you about bringing back passion. Because what we do sometimes is we forget that we've lost our passion. So uh, I've got a little, I, I almost want to wrap this, but I mean, just be honest, I'm not that guy. So I, I picked this up the other day and I thought, wow, how appropriate. It says, I have just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it, give an account if I abuse it. It's only just a minute, but eternity's in it. Passing minute, passion, valuable, irreplaceable time is passing by me. So I have to bust a move, discover my groove, before this time bomb called the biolo biological clock explodes going off. This earthly tabernacle has not been created to last forever. You've got a, a minute, 60 seconds. And you go, well, we do, we do more than that in a day. But how valuable is every minute, every second, every day, every hour? There ought to be something in us that says, these are times that we can't get back. I want to be passionate about every moment. And i got to be honest with you, there's things that I love to do that I'm passionate about, that I get encouraged about. Yesterday I did yard work. For those of you that don't know me very well, I am not passionate about yard work. Actually, I despise it. I hate being outside, I hate dirt, I hate sweat, I hate all of it. There's nothing about it I like. You go, well, do you have a nice lawnmower? If you had a nice lawnmower, then you'd enjoy it. No, no, I wouldn't. Do you have equipment to do the job? It doesn't matter. I don't enjoy it. But as I'm outside and I finished, and I look back over the yard with it, with it being manicured and it's nowhere. Guys, it's nothing like Rodney's yard. Is anything like yard, Rodney's yard. I mean, won't even use a lawnmower on it. They cut it with scissors. I don't know if you knew that. But I looked back over the yard and I went, wow, it just looks good. I finished something and I went, wow, that makes me almost want to be out back out here next week. And then I went into the air conditioning, got a shower, and realized I really don't want to be back out next week. <laughs> Just nothing about it thrills me. But guys, with every minute I'm outside, though, I want to be productive. I want to do something. Taking down the trees, cutting the leaves, I mean, cutting the grass, picking up the leaves. I want to make sure I make good use of every moment I have, even though I may not be passionate about it. But the problem is... With us, and I'm not talking about us in this room, but with America and society, is that we've become passionless. We, we've, we've allowed things that we love to drive us, but we can take them or leave them. First ski trip I took here at this church several years ago, we had decided we were going to Colorado and uh, took a youth group out there and... Uh, we started rolling, and I, I told the kids, I said, how many days do you want to schedule to ski? And there was a couple that said, oh, we just want to ski one day. And I said, what? One day? You only want to ski one day? And they go, yeah, we'll just, we'll just do one day. And I said, what if you love it? You know their response back to me, which still blows my mind. Well, then I'll love it for one day. <laughs> what? There's no snow in Georgia. You won't get to do this again. You may never come back to Colorado, and you're not going to explore the absolute limitness of skiing for three days. No, yeah, it's cool. I thought, if there's ever been a picture of what passionless means. But there's a better picture. You guys remember Apollo 11? First 
man-made vessel to make it to the moon? How many of you guys remember the first man to walk on the moon? What was his name? Neil Armstrong, right. Does anybody remember the second? Buzz Aldrin, that's right. If you and I were Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong would not be the first man on the moon. It's like Neil gets ready to walk out. Get out of the way, baby! Because I want to be number one. I want to be on the, I want to be remembered. I wanna, Buzz Aldrin just sat back. Go ahead, Neil. You can be the first man on the moon. But an even greater, and I've heard this illustration from, from uh, Dr. Campolo several times over my years. And I, I, I'm amazed at, 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 at this, this, this story. And you may, have, you may not remember the actual event, but it was, it was actually not Apollo 11, but Apollo 13. That really shows us kind of this relaxed, passionless mindset, right? Because Apollo 13, if you remember, and if you, ha if you don't remember from history, watch the movie. They, 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 they're headed off to the moon. They're going to get there. And in the midst of their travels, the commander of the ship turns on his radio and says, Houston, we've got a little problem. A little problem? You suckers just blew up your engine. And you're out in outer space. And you've got a little problem? He says, yeah, we've got a little problem. Yeah, I'd still be floating out there. I would still, I would lose my mind. But they just mathematically got the gravitational pull of the moon and shot them back down to earth and they land and everybody's happy, right? I, I can get a flat tire. And I get upset. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh my goodness, call somebody. Call Davis. Maybe he'll come and help us. Davis is always available to help. I don't know if you guys knew that. So if you have a flat tire, call him. He'll come and help you. <laughs> He's shaking his head. God, please, no. It's amazing how people deal with their passions. How we, how we get passionate about certain things. We lose a... Philippians chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there, we're going to be there all day. I have, over the last couple of months, I, I'm never this guy that goes scripture by scripture. I've told you that before, but over the last couple of months, it's just kind of come alive to me like this. And I don't know. Maybe God's changing the way I'll be preaching, but Philippians chapter 3. Paul gives us a great insight into this, this, this kind of vacuum of passion. And I want to give you just a couple of things that I think will help you in bringing it back or infusing life back into your life with passion. <clears throat> and you can be passionate about all kinds of things. Paul helps us to remember to be passionate about the important things. And so I want, you, I want to just kind of try to help you this morning and kind of help us bring back passion in our lives. First thing I want you to recognize is that don't be afraid to own it. So if you're taking notes, number one is don't be afraid to own it. Listen to this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading in verse 3. I'm just going to give you just a little bit of verse 3 here. Then we're going to jump into 4. He says, we rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Listen to this. But if we do, let me tell you who I am. Now, that's not actually what the Scripture says, but that's kind of the way Paul kind of comes at it. We don't, put any, we don't put any confidence in human effort. But if you want to, let me tell you who I am. Listen to this. Though I could have confidence in my own efforts, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. <laughs> Guys, I don't... Can you comprehend that this is Paul, the apostle, like the writer of the New Testament? A lot of it was written by him. And we want to talk about being meek and mild in spirit. And Paul tells us, if anybody's got any reason to be confident, great. But I got even more. I just want you to know that you can be passionate about what you're good at. 
and what you know. I don't know if Ed will remember this, but several years ago, there was something, we, we were kind of going through something here at the church with, with a series or a talk. Maybe it was Sunday school class. I can't remember exactly. And you probably don't remember this. Of course, at your age, there's a lot of things you don't remember. But I, <clears throat> he said to me, I have a problem with this attitude that you can't be proud about what you do. That you can't take confidence in what... Guys, that is a lie. You don't have to always put yourself down to be accepted by God. Quit lying to yourself and to others and say, Oh, I'm nobody, I'm nothing. God has given you specific gifts and talents and you need to own them. You need to be who God called you to be and own who you are. What's wrong with Paul being who he is? Is, it, is cockiness a spiritual gift now? That's kind of the way it looks, doesn't it? But he said, I know who I am. And if anybody's got a reason to be confident, I can be confident. I'm sitting in, in uh, LaGrange. We'd been there maybe, I don't know, four months, five months. We'd been praying. The music uh, would... And, and there's nothing wrong with this, but it, you know us, and it was more, for, for lack of a better term, it was, it was really kind of radio play. And I, when I say that, here's what I mean. A lot of the songs were radio songs. Nothing wrong with radio songs. But generally, you go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, prayer. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, prayer. And, and that was the way it went. It was just kind of symmetrical it just kind of went through the motions it was just and and the prayers were just cute little prayers it wasn't this time of intercession or 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 driving us toward worship it was just dear lord we thank you for this day and we ask that you be with us and we're going to worship you and here we go again next song we were just going god and and the people that were leading and the people that were doing the job were not bad people and they they loved the lord we didn't have any doubt about that but we felt like god was driving us towards something else and can i tell you that sometimes What's wrong is not necessarily bad. It just needs to be something else. And so my wife took this young lady to a conference. We came back from the conference. And she came in on a Saturday and said, I think it's time for me to go. <laughs> well, we'd been praying. And so we didn't say, would you please stay? Would you please hang on? Would you please stay with us? A few? She said, when do you want me to live? I said, I think Sunday will be good. And, and Jonathan started coming shortly after that to help us some. On, on, he would go to New York on Saturday night and be in LaGrange on Sunday morning. And so we, I went to a council meeting, uh, an elders meeting that, that next week. And we were sitting in the meeting and everything was going along and they started talking about this particular situation. And I will remember it like it was yesterday. I think it'll be seared in my memory for the rest of my life. Gentleman was sitting near me, close enough he could have hit me if he wanted to, and I thought he was at one point. <clears throat> he looked and he said, did anybody ask her to stay? I said, no. I said, we've been praying for the direction of the music and the ministry of the church, and we felt like God was doing some shifting, and we thought she might be able to shift with us, but it just didn't happen that way. And she said, she can't take us where we're wanting to go. And he took his hand. And he raised it up and he went, you don't love people. And I started laughing. Right in the middle of the meeting, I'm like, <laughs> you know, those evil laughs. <laughs> it's kind of like that. It was like, <laughs> I said, listen. I did. I was a laugh, and then I went, listen, you can ask 100 people, is Mark a good administrator? And 49 out of, out of 100 might be fooled and think I am, but you get a split decision. I said, you might ask people if I'm a good husband and a good dad, and you might get a split decision. You might get 30, 30 that think I am and 70 that think I'm not. I don't, I don't know about all that. There's one thing I know. When you slammed your hat, said, I don't love people, you've lost your mind. 
I said, you can ask 100 people, and 99 out of 100 will tell you I do. Now, do I always show it? Ask my wife. No. I'm not always good. But do I love people? Absolutely. I'm like Paul. I am confident in who I am and what I can do and what I can't do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Guys, you need to stand up for who you are in Christ. That God has created this, and I know how to do that. And I am confident in who God made me. It will bring back your passion when you can recognize God made this in me. And it may be different than everybody else. And God didn't create you to be everybody else. He created you to be you. So be the, as they say in school, be the best you you can be. Second thing, know who you are. Your ability is not to do everything. And so your ability is not to do everything should not stop you from doing something. For some, who could do anything, but we allow ourselves to be comfortable and do nothing. You need to know who you are and what you can do and don't be comfortable with doing nothing. No matter who you are, there's something you are to be doing. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, and I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Hmm. Seems like he pretty much knew who he was. Can I tell you, you can know who you are and still be wrong? Because he said there, I once thought. Oh, I'm ahead of my notes. I'm sorry. I'll do that in a minute. Know who you are. There's a book Andy Stanley wrote several years ago. It's called Seven Habits of an Effective Ministry. In that book, he starts off the first of the book kind of giving an illustration. And then at the end of the book, he gives seven practical steps for an effective ministry. What's interesting is the, the, the first part of the book is, is detailed so elaborately about a story of him going to a baseball game. And he went for several weeks. He had connected with someone who owned the baseball team. And so they brought him in and said, we want to we talk to him and set him down beside him. Uh, he sat beside the owner at this, at this particular ball game. And while he was sitting there, he said, I want you to look at that picture. He did, do you see him? He said, yes, sir. He said, I pay that man $18 million a year. And he doesn't hit one home run. He can't steal one base. I'm lucky if he ever gets on base. He said, you know what I pay him to do? I, I pay him to pitch to 21 gentlemen every night when it's his time up. That's all I want from him. I want 21 outs. The last six, I'll get from somebody else. If he'll just give me 21 outs. He said, but you see that guy out there in right field? <laughs> He thinks he's a pitcher, but he's not. He said he can't even really carry the glove and catch the ball when it's hit to him. But you know what he can do? He can slap, knock the cover off a ball when he gets to the plate to bat. He said two different people, both getting paid, but they both have different skills. Do you know if I'm a pitcher and I'm trying to hit home runs, I'm out of my league. I don't know who I am. For the same is true for us in the church. That we have to understand who we are. You go, you mean as far as the church of the living God, we're supposed to know. That's settled. We should know that. That's why we talk about Jesus this morning. Because if the church doesn't know who they are in Jesus, we're, we've lost the battle anyway. But this is about you personally. Forget about the church. This is about who you are. And what you're doing with your life. And how passionate you are about the things that you do. 
You go, well, I don't even like what I... Know who you are and what you can do. Because we get blown up by stuff. Oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. My dad said, I'm pretty much good at everything in general and nothing in particular. You ever felt like that? Pretty much do anything but really not good at any of it. You know what? That is a crock. The enemy tries to sell us that, that we can't do anything. We get into the church culture and we think if we can't teach or we can't sing, that we have no value in the church. But you need to know who you are, what God has created you to do. And be like Paul and say, hey, I know this, 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 this about me. But in the end, realize that you might be wrong about what you're passionate about. Because God wants to align your passion with his passion. We're going to get there. Next thing. Sometimes you've got to put yourself in place. Hmm. Sometimes you've got to put yourself in your place. I once, uh, verse 7 and 8, first part of 8. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. There it is, I once thought. See, what we've got to do is adjust our thinking to what God thinks. Because there's many people in the church that once thought one thing and now we think something else. <laughs> Remember that? Remember, remember the old church when we thought certain things were wrong and then we realized they weren't that wrong? But we'd made it such an issue we couldn't back down from it. For those, some of you that don't know about church, that's the way it used to be. And then we realized that, that God was bigger than our limitations. He was bigger than our stuff. And we said, you know what? It's all about him. What I once thought may not be true. But then... We started going so far to the left that we had to come back and go, you know, we thought everything was acceptable. And we thought, and we thought, and the church could just swing and be away from God's design. And God corrects that in us. I hope that makes sense because my mom used to say, son, you want to find the middle of the road and stay there. She said, if you get too far off to the right, you get too far off to the left, you'll get off the road. She said, God wants us to stay in the middle. What attracts people to you should not be about how you look or how you talk. It ought to be about the Jesus in you. It ought to be about the Jesus in you. It ought to be about who he is and what he's doing in your life. And so I want you to recognize that sometimes we need to have adjustments in our life to bring us back into alignment with his word. Don't be afraid of alignments. Don't be afraid of adjustments. Don't be afraid of having to say, you know what, I once thought that was okay, but it's not anymore. I once thought this, but God has corrected me. Let God speak to you. When Anna Phillips, the, one of our friends that does children's ministry, she actually does a warrior ministry now with women. And she has a little thing she does with kids. And when she's working with those kids, she'll start to be talking and she'll say, attitude check and as soon as she says that every kid in the room will go praise the Lord I'm like how does that man I need to get that I need to work that out I'm gonna do that in church and I want to do that with the members you know attitude check wow you guys are good I thought I was gonna have to wait longer on you but you guys just jumped right in there that was awesome attitude check you know what? You have to sometimes do an attitude check on your life to bring yourself back into line. Praise the Lord. But, but I don't feel like praise the Lord. Well, but, 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 but they talk, praise the Lord. But I don't want to. Praise the Lord. But I, but I, 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 if, if you only knew what I was going through, praise the Lord. We need an attitude check in our lives that no matter what happens, we can praise the Lord, bring ourselves back into alignment. Say, I'm not going to allow my passion to be dimmed by what's going on around me. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
And sometimes we need an attitude adjustment to fine-tune us a little bit. Because here's a few statements in our life that we may, you may have heard over the years that kind of have to be adjusted. The early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Think about it. You'll get it in a minute. <clears throat> Borrow money from the pessimist. They don't expect it back anyway. Yeah, y'all slow today. You'll get, you're, you're, half of these are going to be like bombs, you know, that are going to go off when you get home. If at first you don't, if at first you don't succeed, destroy all evidence that you tried. I love this one. Experience is something you don't get until just after you need it. Isn't that true? The sooner you fall behind, the more time you'll have to catch up. If at first you don't succeed, then don't skydive in the first place. We, we all need attitude adjustments to our life because if we're not careful, we get into this mode. <laughs> we'll say it real slow. We need attitude adjustments in our life because we can get into those modes. Have you gotten into that mode this past year? Maybe, maybe not even this past year. Maybe it's just your makeup. Maybe it's the way you're made. Maybe it's the way you, you kind of see life. Because there's some things that we in the body kind of start to feel too. In our own personal lives, in our, in our Christian walk, sometimes we say stuff like, things are never going to change. Well, are you praying about it? Prayer doesn't change things. Prayer works for everyone else but me. I've heard that before. The church is, as a whole is doomed. It doesn't make a difference. See, we have to be careful that we don't allow our attitudes to go unchecked. Paul said, I'm going to put myself in line because I once thought one thing and I am realizing it is nothing compared to Jesus Christ and him crucified. I am adjusting my thinking based on where I'm at on the pendulum and I want to line up with what Jesus said attitude is the librarian of our past the speaker of our present and the prophet of our future you need to make sure you get it in adjustment before you walk into the future because you don't want to take with you from your past or your present what God wants to do God knows who you are you have passion let it out let it out. Next thing. Pursue the important with passion. Pursue the important with passion. We need to understand what's important. Because we get wrapped up in things and we start to think they're important. And we find out we've let our passion die because of a couple of things. First thing is <clears throat> familiarity. It's amazing how quick our passion can die when we become familiar with something. We take it for granted, don't we? What's, what's the little statement about people you love? You always hurt the ones you love the most? Why is that? How could that be possible? I mean, I love you. I love you more than anything else. But it's because I've become familiar with you. And because you've become familiar to me, I take you for granted. And in turn, you get hurt. Your ability to recognize when familiar is taking over your passion is very important. Second thing is apathy. Attitude of who cares. Who cares? It doesn't matter. <coughs> Our zeal for life can decrease as we increase our age. The age can be a culprit of our zeal being lost. And we think, well, now I've just become apathetic because I don't care. My dad, I, it's, it's funny. 
because um, <clears throat> I loved my dad and my mom when, when they were alive, but after my dad's gone, I find myself quoting him over and over and over and over and over again. <clears throat> it's just little silly things he used to say. And um, I remember when he retired, he told me, he said, Son, I used to think God called me to preach. But now that I'm retired, I realize I've just been called to be retired, and I've missed it all my life. Well, he told one guy that came to visit him, he was attending church in Monroe, and an associate pastor came over to visit with him, and he said, listen, I'm going to make something crystal clear to you today. He said, if I'm not at church, don't you come looking for me. He said, I've been in church for the past 60 years, practically every Sunday. He said, and now I'm retired, and you better not come knock on my door looking for me. <laughs> and the guy said, well, you sorry, dog. I don't care if you come to church anyway. He said, my dad looked back at him and said, you mess with me, I'll take my ties to First Baptist. <laughs> Sounds funny. And it was. They were cutting up. But it's funny how my dad got older. The things that were important weren't as important anymore. One day my mom was putting up the laundry at the house. And she, she didn't have dementia, but it kind of came off that way. It was a motor nerve disease. For many of you that are in the church, you'll remember Randy Pritchard had the same disease. It affected him differently, but it was, it was in my mom's brain. And it affected just some cells, and she couldn't do certain things. One day my, mo my mom was putting up the laundry, and my wife was there, and she was helping her. And they were folding the, the laundry. And my mom was always just, the house was immaculate. And everything was folded and put up just right. <coughs> And as they were folding the laundry, <clears throat> my, my wife was folding the sheets for the bed. And uh, she had it all folded nice and neat. And my mom grabbed the, the other sheet, the top sheet, and she goes, oh, I don't do it like that anymore. Michelle said, well, how do you do it, Carolyn? And my mom took the sheet and she went, there. <laughs> and my wife lost it. You know why? Because it wasn't important anymore. It didn't matter. She was having a hard time fixing her hair. Putting up a sheet didn't matter anymore. But in your passion, things that are important need to remain important to you. And apathy can be a destroyer of passion in your life. I just don't care anymore. The last one is passivity. We live our lives through the lives of others. So we become, instead of passionate, passive about everything that's going on. That's why reality TV shows are so popular. You understand that, right? That's why people can sit and watch the Kardashians for hours. Because they dream, well, at least some people do, of, of having that lifestyle and living like that and being able to get your nails done that long. I mean, they just live through it. And guess what? Social media hasn't helped anything. Nobody puts bad stuff on social media and acts like it's their life. They all do the good stuff. There's not a pastor in this nation that sits down on, sat, uh, on Monday morning and goes, man, we had a horrible church service yesterday. Wish I could die. They don't do it. They stand up after Easter Sunday and go, we had 854, praise be to God. And the next Sunday they have 30 and they go, let's just keep that quiet. And there's pastors out there that are looking at those and going, God, I wish I could pastor that church. And they've, they've allowed themselves to live through somebody else and they don't realize that God has given them passions to pastor their church. And God's given you passion to be the mom and dad of your home. He's given you passion to do the work of ministry in your town. God's called you to do that and not to be passive about it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, <clears throat> the middle of 8 to 11. Listen to this. <clears throat> For his sake... I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. 
I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> he said, I want to get this clear. If anybody can boast in their self and their abilities, it's me. I got it. Dude, I'm a bad boy. But in the end, all of this stuff, keeping the law and doing this and doing that, doesn't amount to anything. It is through Christ's righteousness that I am made right. And I will proclaim that. I want to know him so that one day I can be resurrected with Christ. Saren Kierkegaard made a quote. I want to read it to you this morning. It's a warning. It's a warning to the church. <clears throat> Here's the quote. The warning of danger, warning of danger of the church losing its passion for the gospel. Treating it, treating it instead like a piece of information. God, when I read that, I go, God, please don't let us. Please, please don't let us just, just go through this like this is some historical event that doesn't change people's lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a blurb on history. He didn't go to the cross just because he had to die there. He died for us. It's not just a piece of information. Passion is replaced with descriptions of passion. <laughs> I hear in my heart... And I hear in the church sometimes, I used to. That used to matter. I used to be passionate about that. I, I used to desire. God rebirthed the passion, not just descriptions of what it used to be like. The result of the church. Oh, let me back up. Let me, let me start from the beginning so it makes sense. He warned of a danger of the church losing its passion of the gospel, treating it, treating it instead like a piece of information. Passion is replaced with descriptions of passion. The result for the church, he said, could be compared to reading a cookbook to a person who is hungry. I don't know if that bothers you, but it bothers me. I don't, I don't want to be giving the gospel like that. It's just some piece of information. And that it's reading a cookbook to someone who's hungry. Weak desires bring weak results. Athens was the only place Paul visited that he didn't plant a church. Because he was greeted by a greater foe than open opposition. He was met with indifference. Guys, <clears throat> there's a world that is passionless. But if, but if the world is met by a passionless church, we have no hope. They have no hope. You go, yeah, but I'm going to make it into heaven. That is not why you were saved. That is not why he came looking for you. He didn't save you so that you could see Jesus in the sweet by and by. Oh, I know, I know, I, I'm going to heaven. And some of us want to get in by the skin of our teeth. But God has saved us to be passionate about what has changed in our lives. That by the grace of God, I am not what I used to be. And although I may not be what I ought to be, I'm not what I used to be. And thanks be to God, there can be a passion burning in me for others to know that as well. Someone asked me the other day, what is our, what is our vision? What is our, what is our passion? What? I said, we want to be light everywhere we go. 
But you know what? I've got to have a burning desire. I can't go up to everybody I meet at Walmart. Do you realize how foolish it would be if I walk? I mean, I know some people do, but you have to be led by the Spirit. But if I walk up to everybody, do you know Jesus? Oh, okay. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You go, well, that's foolish. People will reject you. Sure they will. And I don't expect you to walk through Walmart every day, walk into everybody you meet. But you know what? The Holy Spirit will prompt you. When you are passionate and you're in love with Jesus, he will prompt you and say, hey, you need to speak to them. The other day I was talking to somebody and, man, I was so aggravated. They had talked to me about something that was going on in their life. I had talked to them twice. Just ran through it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, I'll be thinking about you. I'll be praying for you. Just, you know, that random church jargon we throw out. And, and don't, don't think it's just you. Preachers do it too. Well, we like to act holy, but we're not quite as cocky as Paul. <clears throat> you, guys are, you guys were great with the first thing, but you're missing all my stuff. Anyway, it's because <laughs> this one little kid told his mom and dad, he said, Dad, that's not funny. And then after church, I think it was a Mark Rutherland conference, he said, he said the kid came back to her after the sermon. He said, it was horrible. It was a bomb. And he said the kid came up and said, I told you it wasn't any good. It's <laughs> kind of the way I feel right now. Okay. When you get to the end, will there be passion in your heart for what Jesus has done for you? You can't go through everybody. When I talked to that guy, something prompted in my heart and said, you haven't even prayed for him. And when I saw, I said, you know what? I called him back on the phone. I said, I am sorry. I am a low-down piece of trash. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I have talked to you twice. You told me you have cancer, and I have yet to pray for you. In person, on the phone. I said, can I pray for you right now? He said, sure. As if it won't matter. No, I don't serve a God who allows my prayers to just go into the wind and not make a difference. So I prayed with confidence knowing that the God I serve will answer. Guys, that's passion. Because some of us pray not expecting anything. And do we pray amiss by just praying? I prayed with passion going, God, you are going to deliver you are going to heal and you're going to set free. I saw him a couple of days ago, actually in person. And as he started to leave me, he said, hey, I meant to tell you, thank you for the prayers. He said, they've given me a 10-year plan, but I've made it a five-year plan because I don't think I'll last that long. Wait a minute. I said, but we prayed the other day. He goes, and can I tell you, it was the best two days I've had in over a year. I said, well, we're going to keep praying. And we're going to believe God that you don't only have a 10-year plan. And so uh, Chris Adams was with me. And I grabbed him and I said, Chris, let's pray together. We grabbed that guy's hand and I said, in my prayer, I said, God, I pray for not Five, not 10, not even 20. But I pray for 25 years to be added to his life. God, I believe you and I am confident that you're going to do this. Guys, we have to remain passionate about what God has put inside of us. Because if we don't, it'll just die. It'll just become a, a, an enigma of what we really want to see people experience. So what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? This is not an invitation to get involved in ministry. This is an invitation to rekindle the passion for Jesus again. This is not a, a call to say, hey, there's, we need people in the children's department. We do need people in the children's department. The people in the nursery. We need people at the front door. We need people, but we need people that are passionate. But this is not that appeal. This is the appeal for the passion that God has put inside of you because he saved you, because he delivered you, because those chains that used to bind you were broken, as we sang about earlier. That, that anxiety and depression that you used to deal with doesn't have control of you anymore. That passion that says Jesus did it. It's not a motivational speech so that you feel better about yourself. This is about being a better conduit for his grace and mercy. To say, God did it for me, he can do it for you. 
and taking that good news everywhere you go. Would you stand with me? Because we're going to do a little exercise. I'm not going to ask you to grab a partner and walk around the sanctuary again. Although people were watching that, I've had a couple of comments and they said, I was, they said, I, I just broke down and started crying when I seen that. She said, I was so excited about the partnership those people were having with one another. They don't even come to this church. When we were kids, we used to sing a song. And he said, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody's clapping. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hand. I mean, it took you all day to get here. But you guys remember the song? I mean, you guys are clapping like you remember it, right? Can you sing it with me? I know you're going, are we really doing this? Remember the passion of when you were a child? Can you just, can you just, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Now. If you're happy, there ought to be a passion inside of you. It's not just a song that you ought to sing. That your face ought to show it, and then your passion ought to be involved. It ought to follow behind. See, some of us can't even clap our hands, can't even smile, can't even be engaged. I don't mean in service, I'm talking about in life. But God has placed a passion inside. Whoever you are, there's something you do that brings you joy and gives you passion you need to find that and funnel it into the kingdom of God my daughter I told you the other day about eating ice cream that when she was doing the wedding she said I'm going to Freddy's and I'm getting an ice cream and I'm going to enjoy it because I'm sick of not eating trying to get in this dress I don't know it's just what women do I guess I just got a bigger suit I just uh, See, I don't know how she is going to equate her passion for ice cream into the kingdom of God. I don't know. Maybe she has ice cream so, uh, socials. I don't know. But guess what? I know that God has something for her to do with her joy of eating. She took care of those kids, nannied those kids for all those years, and cooked their meals every day. And she used that. And then she came to our house. Thank the Lord for passion. Because she'd come to my house and make chicken curry. And glory to God. And she's gone. Now she's in Mobile. That's why I'm miserable. <laughs> God can use whatever you have. And whatever you think is not valuable. He can use it for the glory of God. Don't negate yourself. Don't think yourself not valuable. You are valuable to the kingdom of God and he wants to use you. So let's remember that if you're happy, then your face will show it and your passion will show it. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, Mark, man, I have struggled with my passion. Life has beat me up. Seems like everything I try to do just has kind of turned on me. I want to be passionate, but man, I have struggled over the last year. I've struggled over the last five years. I've struggled for a while now. And I just can't seem to get my passion back. Can I tell you today... God wants to restore that first love. Not just a love for Jesus, but the passion that's in your heart that will drive you. That will consume you to share the good news of Jesus. 
You say, but that's not my personality. God gives us all different ways. You've got relationships with people that people in this sanctuary will never know. And God's put them into your life so that you can share your passion with them. If you say, Mark, I've really been struggling with my passion. And I'd love for you to pray for me today that he would restore it in me anew. Would you just slip your hand up right where you're seated? Just say, hey, I want my passion back. I want my passion back. I want that passion. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? You can place your hands down. Thank you. Anybody else? Waiting just a moment. It's just as we're not going to ask you to come forward. Not going not to bring you down to the altar and sp- spend time. And that you may go, oh, I don't want to do that. No, God can restore the passion. You don't have to have someone lay hands on you. God's the one that wants to do the work in your life today. So I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, our passion is important. It was important to you enough to send your son to die for us so that you could offer us eternal life, but not just an eternal life to come, but a desire to take everybody we can with us. A desire to be effective here on this earth. That while we're here, and none of us know our days, none of us know how long we'll be here, but God, as long as we're here, we want to be effective for the kingdom. Lord, those that raised our hands have lost our passion. Our passion for life, our passion for love, our passion for people, our passion for the gospel. Lord, it may be a multitude of different passions that we've lost. But God, I ask for you to do a reset in our lives today. Restore our first love for you and restore our love for others. Because you said to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But you also said to love your neighbor as yourself. God, restore that passion within us to love people, to share the gospel with people, and to show the love of God to everybody we come in contact with, to be light to those around us. We ask it in your name. Now may everyone's hearts and minds be lifted up Because you have designed us with purpose and destiny and calling. We may not be preachers. We may not be singers. We may not be teachers in a class. We may not be called to be those things. But you've given us unique skills to do specific things that can change the world around us. Let us be used to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless.